This is the Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. During the summer of 2023, we're studying chapters 12 through 21 of John's Gospel. And I'm Dwayne McCray, your host, and Amber Vaden is with us. She's our co-host. Amber, thank you for being with us again today for this podcast time. Well, thank you, Dwayne. I am glad to be here and appreciate the invitation. And Mike Livingston is with us today. Mike, thank you for joining us again this week. My pleasure. Thank you. Amber, we're going to be looking at John chapter 17, verses 13 through 26. Jesus's high priestly prayer. Can you walk us through this passage? Yeah. So this uh, this week we have broken down this passage into three different areas. The first one we've titled Sanctify, and it's John 17, verses 13 through 19. Uh, and in, in these verses, Jesus asked the Father to protect the disciples as they faced persecution and hatred for following him. Uh, he went on in his prayer to ask the Father to sanctify the disciples as they go into the world. So he is, this is preparation mode. He is trying to um, make sure they are prepared for what what is to come. Our state, our summary statement for this portion is believers share in representing Jesus in this sinful world. Uh, the second area is called Unite, and it's verses 20 through 23. And in these verses, Jesus prayed for all believers, asking that they be unified, mirroring the relationship between Jesus. I'm sorry, mirroring the relationship between the Father and the Son. Uh, and so unity among believers serves as a testimony of our faith in Christ. And then the third section is gather, John 17, verses 24 through 26. And in this uh, section, Jesus expressed his desire for those who believe in him to be gathered with him in heaven. And this desire was based on a shared love for the Father and his glory. Jesus made the Father known so that others can know the Father and his love. Uh, and in this section, our summary statement is believers can live with the shared assurance of one day seeing God's glory. The overall summary statement for this this whole passage that we're studying today is a shared commitment to God's purpose produces unity among all believers. It is our um, the thing that we come come together for uh, for a purpose to make Him known. So those those points are sanctify, unite, and gather. That's mm -hmm. the outline, right, Mike? In verse fifteen, we see Jesus praying that we're not taken out of the world. Believers should not be asking for that, be searching for that, be wondering for that, um, but that instead that we're to be in the world and we can be protected from the evil one. How does this part of the prayer help us understand our role as believers? Yeah, we've all heard the expression in the world, but not of the world it comes from this passage in these couple of verses, 14 and 15. Um, of the, they're not of the world, Jesus prayed, just meaning they don't, they don't belong to this world. We, we don't belong to this world. Um, there's a quote uh, from D, D, I believe it was D.L. Moody said that Christians should live in the world but not be filled with it. And he used the example of a ship that lives in the water, but if water gets in the ship, the ship goes to the bottom. <laughs> Christians, you know, Christians live in the world, but if the world gets into them, then they sink, which I thought was a good illustration here. And it's really the same thing Paul was saying uh, in Romans 12, isn't it? Do not be conformed 
to the world. Mm-hmm. But now we shouldn't take that to mean that we have we need to isolate ourselves from the world because that certainly is not the intent of, of Jesus here. And we know that's not his intent. You read the whole passage, just he went on to say, um, he, he said, they're not of the world as I'm not of the world. And then like three verses later, verse 18, he says, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. So he's saying, I'm not praying you take them out of the world. In fact, he's praying for them as they are being sent into the world. So we we could express that um, rather than saying not of the world, uh, in the world, but not of the world, we might say not of the world, but sent into the world. And that's and that's the idea here. We're not of the world, but we are sent into the world. And it, it, the actual um, the actual commission that Jesus gave, uh, John records uh, a few chapters later uh, in in chapter twenty, verse twenty one. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And there there's the actual commission here in chapter seventeen. He's praying for them, but in chapter twenty is where you actually hear the the commission of where you've got John's uh, version of the Great Commission, as the Father sent me, I also send you. So we're not, we're not of the world, but we are sent into the world. That's good. That's a really good way to describe it and help us to unpack that. Uh, in verse 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And in that verse, we see two important phrases. The first one is sanctify them. And then the second one, your word is truth. Why use both of those phrases? How do those, how should we understand those since they are both in that one verse together? Yeah, and that, that's a good question. Again, something really good for us to talk about um, as we as we lead and teach this session. Uh, there's a Bible, the Bible school for this session, by the way, does relate to that. It relates to the word sanctify. And uh, if you if you do the Bible school, if you look up the word, as it suggests in a Bible dictionary, you'll find it has, you know, several meanings and one meaning of the word sanctify is to set apart, to set someone apart for a special use. Uh, so in that sense, it, it is being used here. Um, and because immediately after uh, he prayed uh, for them to be sanctified, he talks, like I just said a moment ago, he talks about them being sent into the mm-hmm. world and mm-hmm. sanctified or set apart for for a special purpose they're being sent into the world he's praying that they would uh they're set apart for this purpose and and being set apart for that purpose involves in empowering and equipping them for that purpose uh, the purpose for which they've been set apart so jesus is praying for the father to equip them and empower them for that which uh, he has called them to do and we know that when god calls us to do something he equips us he empowers us to do that which he calls us to do uh another um meaning of the word sanctify that's it's it's also related here it's it's um it's related to the word holy mm-hmm. um the root the root meaning is is holy and i think there's an allusion here even in this passage um to how jesus addressed the father back up a few verses prior in verse 11 he says holy father mm-hmm. calls god holy father and that's the same word that's from the same word that's translated sanctify same root word and i think it implies that jesus is praying uh for the father to make the disciples more like him that we would be more like him and that is a work of the spirit Mm -hmm. to make us more like him and the instrument the spirit uses to consecrate us to make us more like him 
to equip us and empower us to go out in, into the world on mission is his word. That's the instrument that that the spirit uses to to transform us into his image and to empower us, equip us as we go out into his world to represent him. So the spirit of God uses the word of God to equip the people of God to fulfill the mission of God in the world. So can you repeat, so have, say those, say that combination of words again. Yeah. And, and I'm, I've heard various forms of what I'm saying here. So I'm, uh -huh. I'm not claiming this is all original with me. But I, I think what I said was <laughs> the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to equip the people of God to fulfill the mission of God in the okay. world. Yeah. I just want to make sure our listeners caught the, the flow of those four actions. Because they do, one builds on the other, mm -hmm. I think, in that structure. Mm -hmm. uh, on, in verse 21 is a verse that's really been on my mind in the past few months, Mike. Uh, May they be all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. So this idea of they all may be one. We get all kinds of conversation in our culture about unity, uh, about being together, all those kinds of things. Usually it's sense of acceptance of others. Um, this particular verse or is 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 included. This is a shameless plug. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a book that's coming out May 1st called Farsighted. It looks about, it looks at the idea of creating a culture that fosters reaching people who are far from God. And the reason I know it's coming out May 1 is because I'm the author of it. Uh, and the, it can be found at lifeway.com forward slash teaching resources. Uh, but this verse is important here because it, it points to the purpose of unity, mm -hmm. that it being the world may believe you sent me. It's not just about unity for unity's sake or oneness for unity's sake, but it's about the belief of Christ being involved in that. Um, help us think through the idea of the difference between being one and being unified. And then should we seek unity at all costs or, and how do we define this unity or this oneness is being talked about here in Jesus's prayer. Yeah, Jesus could have prayed about a lot of things, but he prayed for our unity. And that's one of the main themes of his prayer was our unity. And it speaks to, as you said, it speaks to the importance of unity. And we all understand, I think we all understand how important unity is. That Because most of us have probably seen examples of how division in the church and disunity believers hinders spirits work in the church it damages our witness in the world disunity is, is simply a stumbling block to to the proclamation of the gospel i think we understand that um oneness does not mean uniformity it doesn't mean we're all just alike um that's it's not that's not what we want that's not what the the prayer is for here it's unity not uniformity there's a difference Jesus is praying that we'd be unified or one in our mission, in our message, in our purpose and proclamation, in our love for others. And I and I would I would affirm here and emphasize here that this unity is not something that we create, it's something that he creates. And he I mean he said that. He alluded to that in verse 22 he says i've given them the glory you've given me so, so that they may be one 
as we are one, this unity is something that he creates in us. So he, he what he was saying there, you know, he talks about the glory you've given me, I've given them. Remember when Jesus turned water into wine? Uh, he says he revealed his glory in that and, and the disciples believed in him. Um, so his his revelation of who he is and their shared belief in him was the basis of their oneness. Their oneness, their unity was not something that they accomplished by uh, on their own. But it, it, so in the same for us, unity, Christian unity, church unity is not our achievement, but it's our responsibility to guard and to maintain. And that's what Paul said in Ephesians, you know, Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4, 3, he uh, it says, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. And that says, that says those, those two things I'm talking about here, that unity is a unity of the spirit. It's something that he creates, but it's something we have to make every effort to keep that, that could be translated to keep the oneness that the spirit produces. And the verb keep, is, it just means you cherish it, you guard it very carefully. It's present tense, continuous action. You keep on doing this. You keep on keeping the unity that the Spirit has created in you. So he produces it, but we're responsible to carefully guard it and nurture it. Now, does that mean at all costs? No, it doesn't mean we keep the unity at all costs. Richard Baxter, I think is the one who said, in necessary things, unity. In doubtful things, liberty. In all things, charity. So there, there are some core foundational beliefs, doctrines that are more important than unity. The deity of Christ. We're not going to compromise on that to, to, keep, to maintain unity. Um, the resurrection. The, the, the salvation by grace. Salvation through faith alone. And we're not going to compromise these things so that we can be unified with those who don't believe those things. So the unity we have as followers of Christ is a unity in the foundational truths of the gospel. It's, it's, not a, it's never a unity at the expense of truth. And one of the illustrations that I point to in my book, in the Farsighted book, comes from the book Boys in the Boat by uh, David uh, Daniel James Brown. It's about Olympic rowing team from 1936. And in the book, they talk about achieving what they call swing, which is a time when every one of the rowers are completely aligned and they're all pulling at the same rate. Everything just is clicking and, they're, and they actually go straight because of it. And uh, in the book, the, the, the rowers point out uh, that it's not something that you wake up in the morning and think, hey, today we're going to accomplish that. It it happens. And when it happens, you know it, but nobody says anything to each other about it happening. Because if you do, then you, you realize it. And once you realize it, it stops happening. So, so you got to keep focusing on just doing your part. And if you do your part and everybody else is doing theirs, then you match up. And so it's the unit idea the oneness idea but there's personal responsibility of you doing just what you're responsible for within that mm -hmm. so it, uh, you see both things working together in that concept of swing when you're thinking about uh rowing uh, in yeah. a boat so that was that 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 whole thing helped me think through what 
was being talked about here in some sense. Uh, love of the Father. We see this in that ending passage, ending verse in this prayer that we're looking at, verse 26. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. Um, help us think through the nuances of this particular verse, Mike. Yeah, a couple of things. Could be a couple of things. Um, one is Jesus is asking the Father to love the disciples with the same love that the Father had for him. And the meaning, the meaning then would be that that the disciples, that his disciples would be keenly, deeply aware of God's love for them in their hearts. They'd be deeply aware of how much God loves them. And, and Paul prayed that when he prayed for uh, believers, when he prayed for the Ephesians, he prayed to, to know Christ, that they would know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so they'd be filled with the fullness of God. So that's that's how Paul prayed for the Ephesians. It could also mean that the disciples would have within them God's love for others. That is that they might love others in the same way that the father loves the son and the father loves them. And I think both of those ideas are here. I think both are possible. I think they go together. You can't really separate those things when we understand how how very much God loves us. When we experience that love, we experience that grace. Doesn't that motivate us to show that same love and, and grace to others? So I think that same, I think both of those, both of those ideas are here. And so at the very end of his prayer, the end of this chapter. Jesus is praying for the Father's love to be in them as he himself, who was the embodiment, perfect embodiment of that love, would be in them. That's how he ends this prayer. Uh, one, one little thing I, I notice here is that the end, the end of Matthew's gospel, you know, you find the Great Commission in the very last verse of, of that gospel. Jesus said, I'm with you always. And that's a good thing. I mean, yeah, that's that's a that's an incredible thing for Jesus to say, I am with you always. But he ends this prayer with um, not with I am with you, but I am in you. That's that's even uh, that's an even better thing uh, for Jesus to say, I am I'm not just with you, but I'm in you. I could see how that would be particularly comforting for the disciples as they're about to leave from this room where they are and about to witness the arrest of Jesus and his crucifixion in a very short time from this prayer being prayed. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that too. And even what, what they would do after his resurrection and ascension, they're taking the gospel uh, for them to be able to remember and recall his words that he would be in them. That would be a valuable truth to take with them to depend on to lean on uh, as they take the gospel out yeah. from that that area one teaching tip i want to give you here is one of the pack items in the leader guide or in the leader pack is pack item 12 it looks at the prayers of jesus it has the seven prayers that are recorded in the gospels listed 
And I, I didn't even think about how many prayers are in the Gospels that are recorded. We know Jesus prayed, talks about multiple times he prayed, but how many times do we actually have the words of Jesus, uh, his prayers being recorded in Scripture? And there's only seven. One's in Matthew 11, a second one in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, same prayer, the model prayer. Uh, the prayer in John 11 where Jesus raises Lazarus. The start of the Passion Week in John 12. The high priestly prayer here in John 17, the Garden of Gethsemane is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Prayer that he prayed there. And then on the cross, you have Jesus' prayer in Matthew 27, Mark 15, and Luke 23. Now, some people say that that last one's three different prayers, but they seem to be all connected to each other since they all took place on the cross. But one thing you may want to do is to begin the group time, present this list prayers of Jesus, some are going to be shocked that that's the only prayers of Jesus we have recorded. Uh, and then tell them that one of the things we're going to do in this group time is we're going to focus on one of these seven prayers and then go ahead and circle Jesus's high priestly prayer and tell them we're going to focus on the part that relates to us. And then from there, move into uh, the study of, of John 17. Now, I know some people are going to say, I don't have a pack. I don't get the church to provide that for me. Well, you can, you can purchase it for yourself if you want to. But in the back of the leader guide, in the back of the daily discipleship guide, and in the back of QuickSource. So that's pages, uh, starts on page 143 in the leader guide, page 160 in the daily discipleship guide, and page 63 in QuickSource. There's a quick overview of all of the pack items that are suggested in the group plans for that quarter. And it tells you how to create those pack items. Now, some of them are gonna take you some time to do, and you may wanna recruit somebody in your class to make them for you, give them the tools they need to do that. Or you could ask for the pack, ask that the church provide the pack for you and save you some time and give you that extra information like this prayer, the seven prayers of Jesus, this list of the seven prayers. And so that saves you time and, and and gives a little bit of extra to put in people's hands because this is a handout to be given to the group. You could just write these seven on a marker board if you wanted to and identify those and, and begin that as a conversation. Any other key thoughts or ideas that we need to share with our listeners today? Uh, yeah, well, from time to time in our podcast, we mentioned different resources in the Explore the Bible family, like what you just mentioned, the leader pack. Uh, we also have the adult commentary, quick source uh, and some others you can find out more about all of the explore the bible resources on our website at goexplorethebible.com so that is there if you uh, want to take a look and see if any of those resources might be helpful to you those are available each quarter and they coordinate with that study for the quarter do you have anything to add mike well i was going to mention that one of the options in the leader guide Okay. is to develop a case study about someone experiencing opposition or persecution because of their faith and that connects to that verse that jesus where jesus said the world hated them because they're not of the world another idea there instead of taking the time to try to develop a case study is just to share a real life story uh from the resources that we list there in that option we list two uh one is persecution.com which is the website of Voice of the Martyrs. And there you can find their real stories of persecuted Christians and how we can pray for them. And the other website is opendoorsusa.org, opendoorsusa.org. 
And there you find not only stories, but you find videos. Uh, if you have the capability of showing videos, you find videos about persecuted Christians. You find stories with photos uh, with them that you could actually show. So this is a good way that we can call attention to uh, the plight of Christians today who are, who are experiencing persecution around the world and to, to pray for them. That's a good reminder. I think uh, thank you for bringing that up, Mike, very much so. Mike, thank you for being our guest today. Thank you for being with us as always to our listeners. Next week, we'll be looking at session nine. Rob Timms will be joining us. We'll be looking at John chapter 18, verses one through 11. And the main point of that lesson is Jesus is always in control and committed to the redemption of humanity.